If you're already there, stay there. If not, you can turn there. We'll be in Luke 6 and look at verse 43 in just a moment. When I was younger, we um, lived in in an area in the early 90s where we had a a bigger yard. My dad didn't get a riding lawnmower until I went to college. Uh, he, He decided he didn't need one until then. We, we had a, yeah, that's right. Why, why did he need that? And so um, we had a self-propelled mower. Y'all know that's sort of the bridge in between. It's not quite as bad as a push mower, but it, it sort of runs on its own. We had a very hilly backyard. I don't know if any of y'all have ever had a big enough yard where you mowed the front yard one day and the backyard another day. It was, it was that kind of deal. And so uh, we'd, we'd do the front yard and then, you know, another day the backyard. Anyway, one day I was mowing the front yard and this uh, self-propelled mower, they're probably still about like this, is you've got two you know, little levers to push there. One turns on the drive and the other one turns on the blade. You know, it's really just two buttons or two switches uh, and then pulling down the handle and off you go. All you gotta do is walk behind it and steer it. Uh, not terribly complicated, but that's what I was doing one day. And I'd gone through the whole yard and I'd gotten done you know, it, doesn't it feel good to get done with a, you know, I'm not a big outdoor guy mowing the grass, but there's something about being able to look at something that's done and it just makes you feel good, doesn't it? And I'd kind of gotten done and you have that feeling of, all right, I'm all done. I'm going to, I'm done with my chore. I'm going to go relax. I probably had, you know, visions of going to watch Rescue 911 or some show that was on back then and just putting my feet up. And my dad came up to me as I was going in and said, uh, Jonathan, I don't think you got that place over there. I don't think you got that. I don't think you got, and started to look around. I had walked the entire yard with the drive on and not the blade. <laughs> I had literally, and you know, those wheels are going. So you feel like you're striping just the whole thing. I, I'd done the whole yard and I was about probably fourth, fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that. And I remember just going, no, I mowed the yard. I'm done, you know, and, and, and I, I look back now and I think, wow, my dad didn't, you know, force me to go out there. He just, you know, bless his heart, he, he turned the blade on and then, you know, got the, the yard done or whatever. I, I had done what I thought was the work, but in reality, the question of had I obeyed, I guess what you would have to answer, no. Uh, the grass wasn't mowed and things weren't accomplished. In the end, I had put in some effort, but I hadn't exactly done what I'd been asked to do. You know, we come to a passage tonight that has a lot about obedience, uh, what is obedience and how does that look and what is the importance of obedience? We uh, come to a passage in, in the gospel and we're reminded of the grace of Jesus Christ, but we also are challenged by the voice of the Lord Jesus tonight uh, towards obedience. As, as Brandon mentioned just a moment ago, uh, he and Anita are going to be leading a class, Growing Kids God's Way. Uh, that's in B208, as he said, and you can email Christy uh, at greenstreet.org if you'd like to sign up for that. I know that spots are going fast and they've already had a good amount of sign up, so you'll want to get in on that quickly. Uh, we are actually recording both sessions. And so if you want to be able to, you know, make it into listening to one or the other, you can, you can be involved in both of them in that way. And so his sessions are going to be recorded as well as that in the, in this room starting next week. And for the month of October, we're going to go through a look on the story of Joseph. Uh, I don't know if any of you got a chance to go to the women's conference here recently with Dr. Joy Green. I heard she did a fantastic job uh, talking about Joseph. 
Joseph, and so I, I feel a little bit nervous coming in behind uh, what she had done. I wasn't aware of that, but I'm, I'm sure she did a fabulous job. Our focus in looking at Joseph is going to be uh, on just the, the trauma, the abuse, the pain, the, uh, the, the depression, everything you want to call it. I don't know that you can come up with a negative emotion that Joseph didn't experience uh, in his lifetime. And yet he's one of only two people in the Old Testament that we can't conclusively find something recorded in Scripture that they did wrong. And it's just amazing. And so I, I hope that this study will be an encouragement to people walking through difficult things. Uh, that it will be a chance for folks who are dealing with deep pain to recognize, you know what, sometimes even when people are following the Lord, there's deep pain that has to be walked through. How am I going to look towards the sovereignty and the goodness of God in that? That's going to be my hope uh, for that together as we do that in the month of October. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 came to my mind tonight before we even got into our, our passage this evening. And it says this, many of us know these verses, for by grace you've been saved through faith. You know, I really like that. We've not been saved by faith through grace. We've been saved by grace through faith. And so the foundational part of our salvation is not even the faith in which we could have in what Jesus has done. The foundational beginning point is Jesus Christ's grace, God's grace, his unmerited favor given to us. And so the grace of God at work we have been saved through the means by which that grace has taken hold is through our faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Even as hard as that verse is, it's encouraging to say, you know what, boasting is not the goal and proving ourselves is not the goal. So let's go ahead and lay all that to rest. None of us accomplished it on our own. It's been given to us through the grace of God through faith in Christ, and outside of that, we've got no reason to brag. And in the even primary parts of that, there's no reason for us to brag. Uh, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm not a big fan of bragging anyway, so let's all just lay that aside and enjoy that Jesus is the one who's accomplished that for us. Then it goes on to say this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How many of y'all served in this year's VBS? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. You, you, some of you hear that verse and you just start twitching because it's been playing in your mind for the last four months. We've still got the CD in our car that uh, Miss Kendra burned for us because my son, everywhere we go, we got to listen to the VBS music still. And so that's still for we are his workmanship. And so this verse that's saying not only have we been saved by grace through faith, but we've been saved unto, we've been saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In conjunction with us reading in just a moment, if you want to go ahead and get point number one tonight, I've got it here for you. Faith and fruit are inseparable. We've not been saved by good works, but we have been saved unto or for good works. We see that in Ephesians 2. We'll see it in the passage tonight as well. That our works cannot save us, but the mark of salvation in your life and my life is fruit and works that God accomplishes in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so while we cannot work and save ourselves, at the same time, we cannot claim to belong to Jesus Christ if there is no change in our hearts and lives. God is going to be working through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to move and to accomplish in us what only He can. You know, it's, we, we're obviously in prayer for the people 
in the path of the hurricane. My brother lives in Orlando, and so I know Brandon mentioned there's numerous ones of us that have different contacts, and so that's uh, something on our mind. Uh, Tonight, it seems a little strange almost in light of that to talk about houses built on the sand and built on the rock, but my, my favorite place in our state is the Outer Banks. Uh, I don't know for different ones of you. Some of you are mountain people. Some of you are beach people. I enjoy the mountains, but there's just something really great about the Outer Banks. And there's a part of me that says, you know, it'd be really neat to live down there. But if you've ever been down there, sometimes it feels like, you know, on one side of your yard, you got the ocean. And on the other side of your yard, the ocean's right there as well. Some thin stretches of ground. Uh, saw a, a house not too long ago that was built on the sand, literally, like everywhere, just about in the Outer Banks. All that sand's moving all the time, and it's not terribly uncommon uh, for a house to, uh, to just plunge into the sea. Well, we come to the passage at the end of this tonight about the wise and the foolish builders, and so this point uh, to be driven home to us about uh, the, the importance of our foundation. I think I'd showed this picture last week of good fruit and bad fruit. These are uh, figs on each side. So you've got the $2 figs and the 28 cent figs, you know, not worth eating, but perhaps, you know, used to feed animals or something like that. Good and bad figs. You can tell a real difference between the two. Uh, You've got the difference there that's going to be talked about between thistles, thorn bushes, and, and fruit. You may not, you know, worry about mixing up the two of those. They give clear marked uh, differences. And so we come to the text tonight, Luke 6. We're going to begin with verse 43, if you'd read with me. We're going to read through the end of the chapter here tonight. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray together. Father, would you challenge us tonight, really perhaps on two fronts, on the majestic, incredible grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is foundational, that is primary, and is the means by which any of us are saved through faith in Christ, but beginning with your grace. Lord, may you remind us of that. Father, at the same time, may you challenge us with what it means in light of that grace given and that salvation taken hold of, that the Holy Spirit's work in our heart is to bring us to the works that you have for us, to bring us uh, to fruit in our life that is evidence of the work that you're doing in our heart. And so, Lord, would you encourage and challenge us as you see fit and as you know we need tonight. We thank you, Father, for a chance to look at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So as I said before, faith and fruit are inseparable. Jesus makes this point. You see this throughout uh, the gospel message as it's given numerous times in different places in the gospel that there's often this calling to fruit being there. Uh, That we've not been saved by good works, but uh, we've been saved unto or for good works. That uh, there there are good trees that produce good fruit. In essence, Jesus talking about those who belong to the Lord and are having the work of the Lord in their life. We know that that ultimately means those who have trusted in Christ for salvation and the Holy Spirit's work taking place on the inside of them. That there is fruit that is growing. I knew... um, uh, an old man who had a, a, just a small peach orchard at one time. He had uh, white peaches. I'm not as crazy about those as, as a nice yellow peach. I don't know that there's anything better than a good, ripe yellow peach. But he had white peach trees. And he had this one tree that year after year he just kept hoping maybe this year is going to be the year that it actually brings forth some peaches. And he gave it seven years. And on the seventh year, nothing came. And if you knew this guy, you'd, you'd enjoy this even more. But... He was like, he, he had an ax in his hand and it's time. That peach tree has lived long enough without producing any fruit. It's not going to keep, you know, taking up soil in my orchard. And it wasn't there the next year. That the reality for us is if we know Jesus, if his, if his truth is, is taking root in our heart and life, what can't help but happen is him bringing about uh, good works in our life simply through our submission and obedience to him. One of the greatest verses, and I've probably quoted it before, one of my favorites in Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful that it's God that's the one that's working in us? And uh, we start off simply by being submissive and obedient. He's the one that accomplishes things uh, that are good. And so we see here the first point of being saved not by good works, but we have been saved unto good works. Number two, our actions reflect the state of our hearts. Our actions reflect the state of our hearts. Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Uh, I haven't dove into the Greek on this one, not that it would help me a whole lot, but I I know it may be enough to, to gather whether this is a participle form. When the Bible talks here about the good person and the evil person, it's in the context of one who practices good and one who practices evil, not that we're categorized as good or evil simply based on some you know, subjective metric to say, well, that's a good person, that's a bad person. No, the judgment here is based on what the actions in the heart that are taking place. And so for the person who is producing bad fruit or has evil intentions, the problem is not simply the moral behavior of his hands and and his feet. It's what's going on in his heart that produces those things. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our actions reflect the state of our hearts. That what's on the inside eventually comes out. And if all we do is try to have outside behavior without an an inside uh, movement towards the Lord, without God dealing in our hearts, then we don't ever have anything but hypocrisy, right? If all we do is just try to, as Jesus would say, we, we whitewash the outside of the tomb while there's dead men's bones on the inside, we haven't accomplished a whole lot. But the challenge sometimes becomes allowing the Lord to work in our hearts and to work outward from there. That our actions reflect the state of our hearts. And then we come to a, a 
story that's fairly well known to us. Did you ever sing, the wise man built his house upon the rock? Yeah, I see a few head nods in here. A lot of times this is a story that we grow up, if you grew up in church, it's one of those like David and Goliath and like Jonah and the whale. You just can't get through a year of kids Sunday school without the wise and foolish builders and rightly so. But like anything that we hear when we're children, sometimes we have one viewpoint of it when we're kids and we don't always grasp the same thing as adults. A lot of us in here, when we heard the story of Jonah when we were young, we may not have heard chapter four where Jonah went up on the hillside and said, God, you're still going to blow up this city, right? That sort of puts a damper on the story, doesn't it? But Jonah's heart still had some dealing with the Lord to be done. And this passage is not simply a humorous story about some houses that either stay or fall down, but it's a reference to the eternal situation of each of our hearts and lives. The wise and the foolish builders. In Jerusalem, uh, there is still the foundations for the temple that existed in Jesus' day. And so if you were to go underground, this is a picture of some of that where you can see this is the uh, foundation on some of the rock at the, uh, the Herodian stone there along one side of the walls, one, the one wall that still uh, exists there, that that foundation was laid deep and it sits on some bedrock in that area uh, that has allowed it to stand the test of time and earthquakes and other things. The view from some of the outside of that, you see that one wall. Uh, the one wall that's remaining in Jerusalem not only is still remaining because uh, the Romans left it there, but because it's the only side of that old wall that sits on a rock. The other didn't have that foundation and it's now all gone. And so it serves kind of that same purpose. You ever heard the story of the man who bought a house and he said, well, we just bought a two-story house. The realtor told me one story before we bought it and he told me the other story after we bought it. <laughs> I don't know. Y'all, any of y'all who've ever bought, the house, uh, bought a house, you know, you have that, you sit in that room with a stack of papers that you just sign until your hand doesn't work anymore and it's one of the you know, sort of unnerving experience in some ways. And then you wonder when you get home whether you're going to have this house or this house, and you're just not quite sure. Is the house built on the sand? Is it built on the rock? You know, this is a story that we're, we're familiar with, but I'd like to just sort of think through it tonight, not necessarily as homeowners, but as people who are referencing the, the situation in our own hearts, our own souls, and Jesus making this point as well. There is this way in which repeating a name is an intimate emotional thing in the context of Jesus' day and in the context of the Bible, uh, that we see this numerous times in Scripture. Uh, when Jesus tells Simon Peter that he is going to betray him, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. When he is in the home of Mary and Martha, he says, Martha, Martha. You're troubled about many things, but only one thing is important. When Abraham raises the knife and prepares to plunge it into his son Isaac, it's God who calls out through the voice of the angel, Abraham, Abraham. And again and again, if we'll look, we'll see that tender duplication, this calling out in, in intimacy and in emotion to say, listen, hear, this is important. Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. We come to a passage here that's paralleled in Matthew 7, well-known passage to many of us, talking about the, 
the narrow gate and the wide gate and the, the gate and the path that lead to life and the broad way that leads to destruction and a lot of parallels that are there. And Jesus says there in Matthew 7, there are many who will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not in your name cast out demons? Did we not perform miracles? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That there are people who have the intimacy to speak to Jesus by saying, Lord, Lord. And yet God's word back to them, Christ's word back to them is, I, I never knew you. In the same way, we see at the beginning of the passage here, Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Number three, Jesus, like a home's foundation, is the invisible, under-the-surface relationship that makes all of the difference in our lives. Jesus, like a home's foundation, is the invisible, under-the-surface relationship that makes all the difference in our lives. Most of us, when we buy our home, never get a chance to look at the foundation unless you're building your home. You just have to trust what's under there, right? We have a, we have a wall in the basement of our house currently where we live where people put up a sort of a strange wooden barrier. We said, hmm, I wonder what's under there. But then there was this second thought that said, I don't want to know what's under there. Let's just, let's just leave it up there. That Jesus, like a foundation, is under the surface. There's this invisibility. You can't look at someone else's life and judge perfectly whether the foundation of their life and soul is on Jesus Christ. And yet, this becomes the most important aspect of the entire passage because Jesus himself is the stone that the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. Jesus himself is the one either in whom we find rest and stability or otherwise the rain and the wind that comes that beat against the house. Both eternally and in our lives today, we'll find that our, our house, our, our soul can't stand up to that. And so let me mention these last few quickly for our time that we have tonight. Letter A says this, both houses get hit by the storm, and Jesus doesn't spare us from that. Any of you who ever came to faith in Christ saying, I need my life to be easier, I'm going to believe in Jesus, you may have found out real quick that's not what Jesus promised. So Jesus didn't promise to keep us out of the storm, but he did promise to walk through it with us. And at times, he's going to get us through it when we ourselves can't carry it. Isaiah 43, that great tr truth I know I've prayed with so many folks, one of my favorite passages that when you pass through the waters... God says, I'll be with you, and the waves will not sweep over you. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. That both houses get hit by the storm, the waves and the wind, the flood. Jesus doesn't spare us from that. Letter B, Jesus says, for all that the process involves coming to him, excuse me, Jesus says for all of us that the process involves coming to him, hearing his words, and obeying him. Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Sort of a three-pronged you know, pronged process there. That we have to choose enough, regardless of where you find yourself on the, on the reform, non-reform spectrum tonight, just hear my language because these are some of the words used in Scripture, depending on how exactly you want to finitely interpret them or not. But there is this way in which God's called us to, to come to Him. We're often not able to do more than just turn around and face his direction. And like the prodigal son's father running from a long way off, he comes to where we are. But there is this choice in which we are going to, to some extent, uh, lean into the Lord Jesus that we're going to come to him. Everyone who comes to me 
and hears my words, but not only hears them, but does them. A three-pronged aspect. Chuck Swindoll tells a story of, uh, imagine you will, that you work for a company whose president found it necessary to travel out of the country. And he says, I will instruct you to do what you should do from now on until I return from this trip. Everyone agreed. The company president left and stayed gone for a couple of years. As he came back, he saw numerous things in tumult, and he said, what in the world? Did you not obey all that I'd left you? And we said, yes, we did. We got all your letters, all the instructions you left us. We bound them in a book. Some of us have even memorized them. In fact, we have a letter study every Sunday where we read these really great letters that you sent us. The president would then ask, but what did you do about my instructions? No doubt the employees would say, do? Well, nothing, but we read all of them. Sometimes in our life, we can find the same to be true. We often know what is right. We often know what God is calling us to in just the basic premise of right and wrong and in his word. And so it's an important reminder to know that God hasn't called us only to know his word, know his truth, but to obey it. The process involves all three. Letter C, the sandy foundation is not only attached to unbelief, but disobedience. Both of these are indicated here. That for the person who claims to believe but has no obedience, because none of us have perfect obedience, none of us have flawless or anywhere close to that obedience, but for the person who says, I want no part of obeying Christ, but I am willing to trust and make mental assent that he must be who he says he is. To that person, they have not had the kind of saving faith that has made a difference in their heart enough to really shine a light to say this person is trusted in Christ in a real and saving way. For someone who says, well, I love Jesus, but I want nothing to do with what he's called me to do, we're in, in a bad situation at that point. So Jesus speaking about not only the person who hears and comes, but who does what he's called them to, that they'll be like the person who's built their house on a rock. But likewise, um, the one who hears and does not do them, verse 49, is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And then letter D, this passage is more about eternity than the here and now. This passage is even more about eternity than the here and now. That the wise and foolish builders is not simply a nice story about whether or not a house was built in the right place at the right circumstance. You know, even more than all the drapes and all the furnishings and everything else that could have been in that home, the most important part was the unseen part, the foundation. Likewise, this story is about the where for that home. And the where has to do with Jesus Christ. And so in the context of Jesus' words uh, to say not only is this a means for righteous living, but for the eternal situation of someone's soul, the difference maker is 100% Jesus Christ. Now we can dress the home up and we can make it look just like all the other homes and we perhaps can fool everybody else for a good while, but unless our hearts are submitted to Christ, we're on the wrong foundation. And so may the Lord work in our hearts and our lives for the, the lives of the folks around you. Because in our day and time, we've got so many folks, and, and any of us can fall prey to this too, that it's simply enough to look good, to act good, to be good, to believe certain things or one or the other. The reality is there's one foundation, there's one rock, and everything else is sand. Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only source of hope. He's the only source of peace. And in the end, he's the rock that makes all the difference. Can we pray together?
Father, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, we ask that you'd use your word as only you can, that you'd speak to our hearts and lives and uh, challenge and encourage us as you see fit. We thank you and praise you, Lord, and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.